buried beneath the rubble of time are stories of God's sovereign hand moving in our great nation. Many believers, hopeless, frustrated, and confused, have all but given up on America. But we have faced dark times before, and by divine providence, overcome. From our studio on Capitol Hill, I'm your host, Joe Kirby, along with Pastor Mike Creed, Aaron Cruz, and Andrew Freienstein. We have a special guest today, Evangelist Scott Pauley. We're glad to have him on the podcast. He has written a book called Revival Praying. Pastor Creed, would you pray for us as we begin? Lord, thank you for uh, uh, the time that we have with uh, Brother Scott Pauley. And uh, thank you for uh, a man. And uh, I have many friends that are just seeking revival. God, I pray that you'll plant that seed in our hearts. Um, and I pray that you'll clear our lives and minds of things that would uh, distract from uh, your working in our lives in a great way. Pray that you'll uh, just uh, give us wisdom through what Brother Scott Paul is going to share with us. Thank you for his life, his book, his family, and just his preaching around uh, the country. Uh, use this time for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And we know that the only hope for America is revival. But I want to ask Brother Pauly this question. What is revival? Brother Pauly? Well, thank you, fellows, for allowing me to be on with you today. And I appreciate so much your emphasis on the spiritual awakening because, like you, I'm convinced that is the great hope of America. It's our great need. Uh, there are so many different uh, textbook definitions of revival and uh, some that are my personal favorite. For example, I love Vance Hafner's quote. He said, revival is God's people falling in love with Jesus all over again. I think that's pretty good. Uh, and there are lots of um, uh, ways to approach the subject. But if you cut through it all, the bottom line is this. Revival is God's people having a fresh awakening about who God is. Uh, it doesn't start with people getting saved or the world getting right with God or or Washington getting straightened out. It starts with the Lord's people. And I really believe that the instance of Scripture, judgment must begin at the house of God. And when that happens, that sets in motion then so many other things. Amen. Brother Paul, I have a question for you. Um, I was actually a revival, uh, excuse me, evangelism major in college, and so I had a bunch of classes uh, on revival, the history revival, everything like that. There's a lot of books on revival. So why, uh, obviously you felt low the Lord, but why did you write this book? Why did you feel it was necessary um, for us as Christians to have this content? That's a great question. You know, uh, there's no new thing under the sun, right? So uh, if people are looking for some fresh revelation, uh, they're going to be sort of disappointed. If truth endures to every generation, then really we're just going back to what God long ago stated in his word. And I, I've always said any book should be measured by its adherence to the word of God. Uh, my pastor said, though, to me years ago, he said, Scott, in every generation, certain things have to be articulated again. Mm. Uh, and I think that's very true. I have a host of books right here in my study where I am, shelves full, in fact, of books on revival and prayer. And many of them, classic works, things that I've been so fed and ministered by. Um, but I'm convinced that our generation, 
needs to see uh, a fresh work of the Lord in our day. Our generation needs a burden in God. Um, personally, I did not plan to write this book. Uh, this was not something that was on the uh, on the agenda for this. Uh, during this quarantine period, when we were all shut up in our homes, uh, in the good providence of God, as an evangelist, of course, you know, that's a strange thing, not being on the road. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of time to think, to pray, uh, to meditate. And it was during that season, these weeks at home, that I wrote these thoughts on revival praying. Uh, and so we've seen God's providential hand guiding the project. I believe the Lord is in it. Um, if I could give one more thought, though, about the need for it, I would say that this, as I've traveled across the country, um, everywhere I go, people say to me, I tell you, preacher, we're praying for revival. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that statement. We're praying for revival. And, uh, of course, sometimes I wonder what they even mean by that. You know, do they just want American prosperity to continue? Do they want comfortable Christianity? Uh, I think sometimes we've lost the meaning of the word revival. When real revival comes, God changes everything. Uh, But what God led me to was the realization that there is a difference between praying for revival and revival praying. Mm. Uh, For example, you you could pray all of your life for something and never receive it. You could ask for something a thousand times and never never obtain it. It is not about praying for revival. Instead, it's about connecting our prayers to what God has already said, to God's purposes. And I'm convinced that when our prayers get in line with God, revival is going to come. That's really the essence of revival praying. It's not some new thing. It's going back to what God has already revealed in his word. Because I I just don't believe that that God is um, unwilling to, uh, to work, I think he's looking for people who are willing to meet the condition. Brother Paulie, I think your your pastor was my same pastor that uh, pastored Madison Avenue Baptist Church back when um, he took that church with about a group of 15 people there, and I walked in as a college right. student. Uh, Brother Sexton was there, and uh, he was in his younger days. Man, when he preached, he paint, preached the paint off the walls, and he was sweating and all over the platform. He was like a banny rooster. I mean, he preached. I mean, I enjoyed it. I was I was getting a lot of good message outlines and and uh, but one of his themes was revival. And uh, yeah, uh, one of the main I, I'll never forget it as as long as I live. Him dis- describing the beginning of revival. I'm going to ask you just a second. What is the beginning of revival? Where where do you believe it begins or how it begins? But he he described a uh, a prairie fire where there's somebody might try try to put a fire out, uh, you know, a campfire out, and just one spark touches just a little sprig of something, and then it becomes a a prairie fire. I, I if there's ever a time our nation is poised for a spiritual awakening, right now people are sitting in houses. We're on our live stream. People are from other countries, uh, from other cities and states, and uh, people we don't even know are listening in, and and uh, we're getting the opportunity to minister. Uh, in Ezra uh, chapter 9, God gave a, uh, he, Ezra describes a little space of grace had been get, uh, showed from the, shown from the Lord, that showed from the Lord 
our God to leave the remnant to escape, to give us a nail in his holy place. And of course, uh, Brother Sexton but uh, preached on that, but it, he also mentions this, and give us a little reviving in our bondage. And um, there are a lot of preachers and Christians that do not believe that we can have revival again, that America, they believe America's gone. But I believe uh, that we can have revival. What would it take? Where does it begin? I would say amen to what you just said about the ability of God to send revival. Uh, everything we believe about revival has to be rooted in what we believe about God. So what I believe about revival doesn't come from what I see on the news or what people in the average church may think or what I think. I believe with God all things are possible. So if God never changes, and if he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then he's just as capable today as he was in the Great Awakening era. And uh, I'm trusting God for that. And I think this is a moment in history. It's our moment in history where we have to believe God and our hope has to be in God. I am not discouraged. Um, I believe we may be very well on the edge of the greatest spiritual awakening we've seen in a generation. Um, Maybe even the disruption that's going on in our country, in our culture right now, is the beginning of the answer to prayer. I think sometimes we fuss about things that the Lord may be working behind the scenes to bring us to the end of ourselves. That old adage, the devil's in the details, I don't believe that. I think for a Christian, God's in the details. The Lord is at work. And so your your primary question is, where does it begin? I, I think it does not begin with a movement. It doesn't begin with a group of people. It doesn't begin with a meeting. It always begins with an individual. Right. When you study history, you discover God always works uh, in someone's heart. And typically, it begins in a private place, in a very personal way. Um, you know, as an evangelist, people imagine that you're going to arrive in town and preach revival sermons and revival will come. I think if real revival comes, it won't come through the preaching. It's going to come through the praying of God's people. And mm-hmm. that's really the, the thesis of this book that I've written on revival praying. I believe revival begins when we humble ourselves, when our hearts are broken, when we come to a place where we're clean with God and we open the door wide and say, all right, Lord, you do whatever you want to do. Yeah, I stay in a lot of hotel rooms, and uh, you gentlemen know what I'm talking about. <laughs> there are there, there are adjoining rooms <laughs> in hotels. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and in those adjoining rooms, <laughs> you've got a door on both sides that has to be unlocked and open for the to pass freely from one to the other. I like to think of it this way. God's already opened the door on his side. In fact, when, when our high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he took the door off. <laughs> he made the way plain. Uh, but we don't have our door open yet. And I think we've got to get ourselves wide open to the Lord if we want to see what God has to say to us. And so I'm convinced it begins with the prayers of God's people. And then if you want to go deeper than that, what kind of prayers? You mentioned Ezra 9. That's really what the whole book is patterned after is Ezra's revival prayer in Ezra 9. Ezra started with confession. And it's funny, we want to pray for everybody else to get right and confess everybody else's sin, but Ezra includes himself. 
And I think it begins with, with thorough confessions to him. Wow. Brother Polly, could you give us just one example in the Bible of where revival broke out and God really moved? Well, I think there are many of them. Uh, the one, of course, that is, is most fresh in my heart is this occasion in Ezra. Um, if you read Ezra 9, in Ezra chapter 9, Ezra really prays. I mean, it is the essence of revival prayer. Uh, and there are three parts to it. He starts with confession. Then he moves to intercession, which is praying for the needs of others. And, and by the way, let me just pause and say, I think we've tried to pray for others, but we've really done a third job of confessing sin ourselves. And we're pretty good at spotting everybody else's problems. But there's a divine order. So he moves from confession to intercession, then to petition. And the verse that you quoted the creed a moment ago, Ezra chapter 9, uh, verse number 8, that really is his petition for grace, for the remnant, for a nail in the holy place, for light, for a little revival. That's his petition. But if you keep reading through Ezra 9 and you come to Ezra chapter 10, uh, verse number one, the Bible says that when Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, that suddenly the entire congregation started weeping. They started praying. Um, if you ever line up a bunch of dominoes, knock the first one down and watch the chain reaction, I think there's a spiritual chain reaction in revival praying that when one person gets thoroughly right with God and begins to pray, it sets in motion a work of the Spirit of God in hearts and homes and so many other people. And so I think, take Ezra. I mean, we could go much further than that, but just let's start here, Ezra 9 and Ezra 10. Uh, there was a spiritual awakening among God's people, them getting thoroughly right with the Lord, and it started with one man learning to pray. So it seems like as we're asking this question, what's holding revival back? Um, we've asked the question, others have asked the question, what is the the sin of America, and why are we here? It almost seems like that is really a casting off of the blame or even responsibility on, well, what is everybody else doing wrong and what, what that's created this mess versus what is my sin? It's a great observation. It's a great question. I, I think, you know, there are root sins. There are root sins in this world. There are root sins in the church. I think you find the same root sin connected to revival. For example, one root sin is always unbelief. Why are men lost? Unbelief. Why do we not see God work? Unbelief. Uh, you remember Jesus in Capernaum could there do no mighty works because of their unbelief. Uh, God is all-powerful. The only thing that limits God is our unwillingness to believe and obey Him. And so when we talk about revival like it is past tense, like it's something that's old. We missed the point. Mm -hmm. Revival is never old. Revival is always fresh. You see, the God of revival is eternal, so he never changes. And I think God's people have to be stirred to believe again. And then, out of that faith, they pray. It's not enough to simply pray. We must pray in faith. So I would say unbelief is one reason. Second reason uh, and a root sin, I think, that holds back real revival is pride. Uh, you know, 
as long as we are full of ourselves and our thoughts and our ideas and what we can accomplish, we're not going to see God work. And uh, we're living in, a, in an age of such pragmatism when everybody has a, a great idea. Everybody's got a great idea. Uh, no idea ever brought revival. Mm. Now, the only thing that brings revival is a humbling of people before the presence of a holy God and then divine intervention. Wow. And so I, I think the two things that most fly in the face of a real spiritual awakening are unbelief and pride. Brother Polly, let me ask you this. You know, this is a history podcast. I'm going to talk about some of the circumstances that surrounded, or I guess some commonality of circumstances that surrounded biblical revivals, but also revivals here in America that we have good documentation. I think sometimes, you know, I can get in my mind and people can get in their mind that you know, revivals came when everything was good. You know, when everything was peachy and society was running the way it was supposed to and everyone had the white picket fence. Um, but it doesn't seem to be that way, uh, at least from my observations and what I know. Could you speak to just maybe historically speaking from the Bible and from American history, you know, at what times did revival take place? Well, that's an interesting, uh, interesting point because we do, we do get this idea that um, if revival comes, it means that everything in the culture or in the community is going well. But in fact, you study history, uh, both in Scripture and modern history, you find that the greatest spiritual awakenings came at the worst moment. Now, why would that be? I think uh, the reason that God does his greatest work at the lowest moments in history is because that's when he gets the glory. Uh, we want the Lord to change all the circumstances, but the Lord wants to work in the midst of the struggle. I mean, right in the middle of our mess, because when that happens, no man can take the credit for that. Um, one example, the worst king Israel ever had was Ahab. We love to talk about Ahab and Jezebel. But has it ever dawned on us that when the nation had its worst king, they had their best prophet? Elijah was on the scene, and the power of God was shown at the darkest moment in Israel's history. Uh, that's one of the reasons I'm very hopeful right now, because I believe this is a dark moment, but God is able, God is willing, and God is waiting on somebody to take him seriously. Uh, one, one thing that in this revival praying study that God really dealt with me about, and I could be very transparent with you, is I'm afraid that too often what we're actually praying for is not revival. What we're actually praying for and seeking is relief. Um, we want this situation to be better. Uh, and I, I'm afraid that we can get more concerned with our comfort than with his glory. If you think about the New Testament church, the first century church in the book of Acts, uh, you're going to find a church that was having a hard time, and yet they moved forward, they advanced against the gates of hell, when all of hell, all the hounds of hell, were turning their greatest weapons upon them. And so when there's persecution, when there's difficulty, uh, when there's affliction, that's really when God does his deep work. And Brother Paulie, I, I've been studying, just looking at the beginnings of our nation, um, riding up and down the road, listening just to history, and 
Um, our nation began with a group of folks that brought the Word of God to propagate the Word of God, to preach the Word of God, to share the gospel. And today, there is a movement just to totally change our country, to eradicate our country of all history, of all that is in the past, and totally reset our nation. And I believe that's that has brought people to a place that they are wondering what is next. And we have the opportunity as preachers and as Christians really to take this moment and, uh, and see God do something that we haven't ever seen in our lifetime. I believe that with all my heart. I, I deeply appreciate what you are doing um, to use history to point people back to God. Uh, you know, it was Churchill who said in the House of Commons that those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And I'm convinced that um, we've got an entire culture of people who are trying to erase history, rewrite history. And I think it's a satanic strategy. Uh, because when you lose history, you lose the remembrance of who God is, what God has done, um, the lessons that the Lord has taught us already. There's a great danger in that. And so I think revival makes you look back. It makes you look within. It makes you look up. Recently, I've just been watching what's happening on Capitol Hill. I, I have a friend that was just down here yesterday talking to some leaders. And it's almost like our leaders are sitting quietly wondering what to do. What a great moment for us. I mean, Amen. Washington, D.C., as we drove in, it's quiet. I mean, you don't see it. There's very few people walking down the street. It, it's just quiet. And it's as if God has given us a moment. Leaders are waiting to be led. <laughs> mm. so this is a great time well, for Christians to step forward. And, you know, you, you can't manufacture revival. Right. You can't manipulate revival. Right. Um, I, I said to a group of people recently, um, you, you can't scheme your way into a great awakening. You know, you can't, it can't be forced. It can't be worked up. If it is, it's just religious flesh. Right. Um, and it's a cheap substitute. But if we can get people serious about seeking the Lord, you know, one interesting thought in Scripture, we're never commanded to pray for revival. In Scripture, we're commanded to seek God. And I, I think sometimes we're, we're looking for the event, the experience, the emotion, whatever it is, when we're supposed to just be seeking God himself. And um, one interesting note from history, but one of the great revivals uh, was the Welsh Revival. Evan Roberts was the young minister during that season. Interestingly enough, we know little about his preaching, more about his praying. Uh, his sermons really are not kept for us, but he taught the people to pray. Just days before the Welsh Revival broke out, he said to a friend, we've built the altar, we've laid the wooden altar, we've prepared the sacrifice. There's nothing now to do but wait for the fire. And in days, the fire came. I'm afraid that in our American Christianity, we are waiting for the fire. We've even learned how to lay the wood in order, uh, organize things but we've not built the altar. And I'm convinced if we build the altar, the fire will fall. If we learn to pray and seek God, we will see God work in our nation and in our generation. Well, Holly, thank you so much for 
taking this time with us. As we look around, we are really seeing so many things happen in this world, and we're looking for somebody to step up and, like you said, uh, provide some relief. But really, you really need God. The circumstances may not change in this nation, but God is still the same. And how I see God and how each of us see God is really what's going to make the difference. That if if I can uh, come to that place where I get my pride and get that unbelief out and say, God, it doesn't matter what happens. God, I want to know you more. I want to see you work in my life and through my life. We can begin to see something, not, not an organized thing, but just it has to start with one spark in one life with somebody who simply believes that God is able. Amen. If you'd like to get Scott Pauley's book, it is Revival Praying, Connecting Our Prayers to God's Purpose. You can find that on scottpauley.org. You can find more about Awake America at awakeamerica.org. Thank you for listening.